Welcome to episode 3 of my interview with Grant Downey. If you haven't heard episodes 1 and 2, go back, check them out first. I think the whole story will make more sense if you've heard them. If you have heard them, sit back, relax and listen to part 3. This is the concluding part of this series. So year two in the champion, well, sorry, the championship, completely different style of football, yes. harder, harder because there are the, the, there are many more teams of an equal level, and you're const- you're regularly playing Saturday, Tuesday, and as a result of it being away games, you know you're regularly on a bus travelling on a Monday, then not back to a, you know the very small hours of the Wednesday morning, so it's physically very tiring and forty six games for a start, so it's it's a very tough league. And more teams that can win it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, probably 12 teams could win it. Yeah. So do you remember what your aim, aims or the club aims were well, that season? Well, we wanted to get promotion again, obviously. You know, you're always aiming for promotion, but it didn't occur. And I actually, honestly, if I'm honest, didn't expect us to, because I don't think we'd invested enough. And I was surprised how quickly, you know, Gareth was moved on, because at the time he was moved on, if I remember rightly, we were in third place, I think. Yeah, I think... Very well. I think it was in next season, 10, 11. Mm. Or maybe it wasn't. I can't remember, is I? Um, but Strachan mm. came in. That's right. Mm. Um, now he's a character. He's a character. And is that a good thing in a, a manager, that, in from your point of view? Listen, Gordon was fantastic with me. Uh, I think it helped. I got grey hair, so he respected experience. Right. Uh, he knew my background. Uh, he never puts a physio under pressure to get players fit. They're either fit or they're not fit, as he would say. Uh, he was enjoyable for my angle of company to be around to travel with, uh, but he wasn't successful there, and he knows that. Uh, but I can't. I've, I've not got a bad word to say about him. He was he was great with me, uh, and he brought in the the start. Like you said, there wasn't mm. huge investment that season. That's right. Um, and then and there was a lot of players went That's out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously in big money to exactly. try and recoup it. Exactly. Um, but the next season there was a good few players come in. Um, a lot of Scottish players that's right uh, a few from Rangers did that help I think listen it's like anything he was going to buy what he thought with tried and trusted and all of them were were, were, were good people you know you take people like Barry Robson I'd known since he, he, he was a he was a scholar at Rangers when I was there then ultimately got released went to Inverness Dundee United Celtic Aberdeen you know uh, and so knowing these people helped and they were they were good people you know Steve McManus uh, Kevin Thompson, Kevin was, Thompson. The, was the one that I was going to ask mm. about um he was injured, but he's a bit of a cult hero. Yeah. Rangers, mm-hmm. Kevin Thompson, he's on that podcast that I was talking about earlier quite mm-hmm. a few times. And the one, the tackle, is it on Roy Keane? Mm-hmm. And everyone says, oh, it's like the best old firm tackle ever. And by all accounts, Walter used to say to him, right, who's getting mm-hmm. it? Who's getting mm-hmm. it now? What was he like as a person? Now, obviously, he's big reputation at, at Rangers, and then he comes to Middlesbrough, I think he gets, what is it, six games or something, and then very badly injured he got he picked up a nasty injury which didn't help and I think Kevin was a quite a it's quite an introverted lad you know and being injured then that doesn't help and I think he'd had a lot of time injured when he was at Rangers too torn one cruciate ligament I think when he was younger at Hibs then he tore another one when he was at Rangers so I think it, it started to affect him a little bit and um, you know he, he had a sort of injury that was quite difficult to manage because although it was right he wasn't fully right and he tried to play when he wasn't quite right and it was one of those things he probably looks back and I'd like to think he thinks well maybe I shouldn't have done certain things and we look back we'd have done things differently you know uh, I you know being honest he probably didn't play that well for Middlesbrough but that wasn't his fault so I'm not, certainly not blaming him for that uh, he certainly was a good influence you know he tried hard he worked hard he was phenomenally hard working as an injured player yeah. But it just didn't work out for him, and so I don't think he really settled that well. Yeah. You know. How how does it work in terms of Rangers have got a, a player at the more at the moment, Jordan Rossiter, yeah. and he, every time that he gets fit, he seems to get injured mm. again. Is that just his body saying? Sometimes it is exactly. Some players, you know, g- genetically are not meant to play football, and sometimes it is survival of the fittest. Sometimes it can be down to their own attitude, and most times it's not. Most players at this level are pretty good. You know, Kevin was certainly very good and, you know, couldn't fault him one bit for doing the work he tried to do. But sometimes it's just genetics and, and, and it's unfortunate. And, you know, it's the physios, you scratch your head out, you know, you're trying to do this, you try to do that, you try different things. But sometimes it just doesn't work. Um, so when Strachan gets sacked mm-hmm. and he tears up his contract mm-hmm. by all accounts and he doesn't take a payment, was that just the way Strachan was? Just he was, again, he was one of the people, and how I can best describe that, I'm sure you know that story is 
out there. Do I know it? No, I don't, but I know it and I've read it and, and I'm sure it's right. But I can also remember if we were traveling back from away games and we were going into just stopping off for a toilet stop on the motorway service station. And sometimes we'd have got a toilet on the bus, but we would stop off. Gordon Strachan would always put his hand in his pocket and give me money to go and buy stuff for the staff. Right. Uh, Never would let you spend any of your own money. Grant, go and buy the staff some sweets. Go and buy the staff. You know, so a very kind man and a funny man too. Yeah. I mean, a real, a real genuinely funny man. Uh, who I, I've got a lot of it. I, I, and I can also remember, and we'll probably come on to it, because eventually I lost my job at Middlesbrough with further cutbacks. And I can remember when it happened and I'd left Middlesbrough and Gordon phoned me just to see how I was and said to me at the time, Grant, I've got a house in Malaga in Spain. You want to go and use it, it's free to you anytime you want. Hey. Uh, just decent. Decent, exactly. And that's what you want. You want decent hey. people. Do you, you think that he was right to leave Scotland when he did? Do you think he could have he could have done better? I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, managing the national team is very difficult because you can't buy or sell players. You know, you know, we don't have a great talent pool. It's not a bad talent pool. So I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not great. It's not strength and depth. Uh, what gives us the divine right to think we should qualify for these tournaments? And, 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 and I don't think, generally, I think children in Scotland don't work as hard as even do in England. I think in England they work harder. Yeah. I think they're more, they understand they've got to make sacrifices. You've got to have the right diet. You've got to be able to train properly. You've got to sustain it. You can't just, you know, you want to be a top-class sportsman, you'll make sacrifices. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even, I don't obviously have a huge experience, but even hear of people that bump into footballers and nightclubs and all the rest of it and I kind of think to myself I would like to think that I was different if I had that talent Absolutely. to go Absolutely. along exactly. I would just knuckle down yeah. for the I, 10 I years. hope we can get some more Alex Robertson's you know, who's performing well not well very well for Liverpool at the moment and delight to see a young Scotsman who was released by Celtic no, yeah. you know, all big clubs have done this before but you know then goes to Queen's Park and goes to Dundee United and then down to Hull great story we need more of those and um, do you think that like Wales had one world class player mm-hmm. in the form of Gareth Bale? Do you mm-hmm. think that if Scotland's world class player in the form of Andy Robinson's at right back, that's just no quite as good? I'd rather he was central midfielder or centre forward. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do. I think. Listen, I think it. Listen, we've we've got to turn it round at some stage. But we won't turn around by talking about it. We've got to put some action in. We've got and, and and I think the SFA have got some very good, you know, structural plans at youth level. You know, but it's like anything. And I think what people think, you know, we live in the instantaneous world today where if you don't know the answer you can Google it in a second. Well to nurture talent to be a top class footballer is like more like working in the garden. You know, you put something in the ground, you've got to water it, you've got to prune it, you've got to then cut it back, you've got to let it grow, yeah. you've got to let it wither. Uh We've got to be a bit more patient, but we've got to get to the stage where, as a country, we improve our quality of living. So, better diet, you know, a better way of living, except training is important, mm. and stop having to get a chip off our shoulder and think the world's against us. You know, Uruguay is a smaller country as Scotland. Yeah. And how many top class footballers does that produce? Aye. Aye. Do you think there's a lot of. Oh, I suppose we'll come on to this later, but do you think there's a lot of talent that slips through the net? Yeah, I do. In terms of. Too much. Too much. Um, so Strachan leaves mm-hmm. Tony Mowbray comes in mm-hmm. another ex-Celtic another ex-Celtic manager boss. another another equally decent man as Gordon but very different very more quiet very more introverted but again thoroughly decent man very honourable man a very enjoyable person to sort of work for uh, but came at a difficult time at the club and as I say I, I again it's lovely to see him with Blackburn doing well because he's a thoroughly a man who's had adversity in his own life, who'd, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and talked about that and how it shaped him from his playing career to being married to losing a wife, you know, through cancer and, and, and you know, but a thoroughly, you know, as I say, and, and I would say he's quite doer, as we would say in Scotland. Right. But actually, that makes everyone think he's miserable and he's very, but he's not. He's just a thinker. He's one of those deep reflectors. Yeah. But as I said to you, I, I enjoyed A, travelling with him, B, Enjoyed the fact I used to beat him at golf. Not that I said that. No, but but I enjoyed his company, and he, him, and I had a good relationship. Excellent. Mm. Um, and that was that was your last season. Yes. What happened at the end of that season? I was fortunate when I was at at Middlesbrough that that 
they quite liked what I did and I, at the time I was there there was two or three other clubs who wanted me to go and work for them which meant that Middlesbrough gave me like a five-year contract on, on, on good money I was earning good money and it was very nice for them to give me that contract but it was on what they thought was Premier League wages so coming up to with one and one year to go they served notice to say it and they offered me to they said I could leave halfway through the season and they would pay me a year's money but I said listen I'll see the season out I'm quite happy to do that they offered me another contract it was a 50% pay cut and I just felt 25 years in first team football I don't need the job I did it work because I needed the money but I just felt would I ended up being bitter staying there and so I thought time I had no job to go to there was nothing in the pipeline mm -hmm. but I'm leaving and and I told Tony and he was he was unhappy but happy because he realized couldn't ask me to stay for that but delighted I was prepared to stay mm -hmm. uh, I enjoyed the six months and then left right. mm. um so again we've got to the end of the time mm -hmm. at uh, Middlesbrough mm -hmm. we're going to do some quick fire questions just the same ones yeah, as we did before uh, best thing about working at Middlesbrough working with some great people worst thing small club mentality uh, biggest achievement personally biggest achievement personally definitely our, our success, either either success in Europe or, or, or with a Carly Cup just to be part of that was phenomenal excellent uh, best friend oh that is a good question I'm going to name two people that I feel close to from there, and, and that's Ugo and Gareth. Okay. Um, best first team player worked with? Gareth. Worst? Uh, Alfonso Alves. <laughs> and best place you visited with work? I'm just going to say Eindhoven, because the whole experience for the final was phenomenal. Perfect. 2011, 2012, yep. Man City here I yep. come, I've mm -hmm. put, how did it come about? came about, Manchester City, as people know, at that a couple of years have been taken over by Sheikh Mansour, and part of his remit was to look at the whole running of the club and, and look at the strategy of what they wanted to do go, moving forward. And so at that summer, Manchester City had advertised two or three jobs, one of head, medicine, head of sports medicine for the first team, one for the academy, and a recruitment agency was run, was sort of put in charge to run the process. And initially I was asked, would I be interested in applying for the head of sports medicine of the first team? And I knew I didn't really want to do it because I suddenly thought, this is what I've been doing for ages and I'm tired and, you know, I've lost relationships because of working hard in football. I just don't want to do that. And one of my closest good friends in football, a guy called Dave Parnaby, who's Academy Director of Middlesbrough, said, Grant, you've often enjoyed working with the kids. Why don't you apply for that job with the Academy? And I thought, go on, I may as well apply for it. And, and I might not want it because I don't know what it's all about. To cut a long story short, I applied for it. I had three quite long interviews where at the end of it, it was not Manchester City interviewing me. I was interviewing them back to see, well, you know, what is your real strategy? What's this? What's that? Because I was going to have to move again because I didn't know if I wanted to move. But they wanted me and I seemed very attracted to what they were wanting to do as a, as a project and so therefore I started working for them after I, I attended the I was at, in, the, in the meantime I had a sort of three months spare and I, the England FA had asked would I work for them so I actually went to the Colombian under 20 World Cup so I did that which was a good bit of fun uh, just to see it in South America and then in September I started working for Man City. And a different pace of life to working with the first team. Yeah, well, I'd always enjoyed treating academy players and I thought to myself, well, this will be fun. It'll just be like working with many adults and what I've learned I'll be able to apply. I mean, I was very wrong because I didn't realise it was going to be completely different. But it was, it was, you know, on a Saturday you miss first team games at first because there's a boss, there's pressure. There's no pressure at an under-18, under-21 game. There's like 300 people watching and a cat and a dog. Mm. Uh, but it was different. But once one's got over the your own ego of not covering big games, it was um it was a a, a phenomenal club and b just a sort of a, 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 what's the right word just a, a great project to be involved in. So what was your role within your new job? Well, in the first year, my job was to be head of sports medicine was to look and that was to be in charge of four people looking after the academy remit in in looking after scholars and and sort of bringing the, the the medical philosophy into line with hopefully aspiring young players to get into the first team little did i know after the first year the 
head of sports medicine at the first team would suddenly fall out with Roberto Mancini and leave within a day and within a day I was in charge of both again <laughs> which is why I didn't want to go there but hey well, you, you help out in crises and you know so you go with one aim and then end up being another but that was only for a few months and that was fun so mm. I didn't I did not enjoy that but it was to it was to look at the structure of the club and the club were you know they were like a big juggernaut on a move quickly and they hadn't yet achieved much but they were looking not only at um the boys footballing program at that stage there was no women's program but they were looking at a women's program they were looking at maybe developing it into a performance department which after two years it became rather the medicine it became performance so i was looking after medical and science and psychology and and performance analysis so it came from four people to when i left to 27 so when you first go in was the was the academy on the on the horizon the academy was there as in you know where we worked from platte lane they were already sort of superficial plans for the new city football academy which is now in existence and again one of my remits was to sit on the planning committee to design the facility of how we wanted it to facilitate best practice and i take it that you used your experience from exactly the one we'd done at rangers and, and and stuff you'd learned from middlesbrough plus you spoke to other people and the club had been around the world looking to see what would be the best and you know the the club were People were thinking they had a blank canvas to spend what they did. They didn't. They had a, they had a budget, but it was a very healthy budget. But what 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 was very obvious was the club wanted to put something down for long term. So it wasn't just let's do what's good for now. How do we try and future proof a facility and a design? And you know their club had great vision. Mm-hmm. So was it your first season that you were back that you were involved with the first team again? Uh, no, the beginning of the second. Because I was going to say that you've gone to the, your first season there, and they, they won the league. league. <laughs> and listen, I, you know, you've very little to do with that. This was, you know, the first team were being run by very good medical staff, and you know, I, I, I met the staff, I knew who they were, and you know, I was very fortunate to be at the ground when they beat QPR, and when you see the goal in, you know, 90, 93 yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was phenomenal, and 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 and. And to see, again, the euphoric fans experiencing such a thing. And that was the sort of, you know, the catalyst to kick the club forward. But, you know, there were things going on behind the scenes. You knew they were putting in good bricks for the long term. I mean, the club were tremendously well run. Yes, they had to spend, but you sometimes have to spend, to you know, you, you speculate to accumulate. Yeah. And I thought they were spending in the right areas and with good people. And how does the that good feeling filter down through the... The whole club? Well, it does, because everyone wants to be part of something that's successful. And the club were very good at, um, you know, looking at different projects to get staff involved in. And everyone, you know, you felt the first team success reflected in everyone. And uh, the club were, you know, very much, you know, if there was an end of season party, everyone was invited, which means there were lots of people there. But it, but it was, um, it was a, it, it had that vision and still does. So... The second season, you're back working with the first team. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy it because it was short term? Yeah, yeah, I knew it was going to come to an end, and I, I didn't mind doing it because the staff, you know, there needed a little bit of direction and leadership and a difficult time. And I knew it was only going to be probably for four, five, six months as it was, uh, and so it was fun and it was it was it was interesting seeing how Roberto Mancini worked, which again was different, very Italian culture, you know. But I knew I wasn't going to be there long term, so. And what was the, I mean, the players... Phenomenal players. And we look at the players that were at Rangers, <coughs> and some of the best players <coughs> about at <coughs> the time, and then Middlesbrough, the <coughs> likes of Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank and Yukubu, but these guys are on a totally different level. Yeah, but they're still people, you know, they're no different to anybody else. They have their own anxieties, their own worries, and, you know, you've got people like Vincent Company, who's a modern version of a Richard Goff, you know, <coughs> a tremendous professional who goes about his business properly and leads. You know, you've got people like Sergio Aguero, phenomenal. Got David Silver. You know, you watch these people train; they're phenomenal. And do they do they take a lot to do with the academy and that? Not thing? really. Did, did you? Sorry to interrupt. Did your did your time with them aid in the like? Not really, because we were run, we were on separate sites at the time, so they were like six miles apart, so right. they wouldn't go down to the academy. Vincent laterally when we moved, you know, would come across to the academy and would speak to the academy kids quite often, and you know, as as Pep does. Uh, but um, the the two were quite separate, but they weren't run. That wasn't a problem, you know. It it, it was it was just run that way. Yeah, I I take it that it gives the younger players a bit of a boost to see the older players. It gives them a boost, but you don't want them to, to be too close to the promised land because you've got to get to work to get to the promised land, which is the first team. Mm. You do, you don't want them to be so easy to get there. 
Um, I remember talking to you and saying that the, some of the players weren't too happy with Mancini. Mm. And also, you, you said that the guy that had come in for the physio, mm-hmm. or the head of medical, wasn't too happy. Was that completely... How do you think that um, the players back in the, the day when you first started, mm-hmm. would they have... Is it a completely different mindset? No, completely different. It's different from the point of view of their earning potential. Is is much greater to, in those times. But so therefore, when I was at Rangers, players needed me to help them to get fit. Whereas by that stage, players are, you know, they need the medical staff, but they can afford their own. Mm-hmm. You know, and some of them will go their own way. Uh, and Mancini had his own views on how medicine should be run. He's got an Italian culture. I I'm the last person to say it's wrong, but it's very different to how we would do things. You know, but it's so it. it you know, therefore you get clashes occasionally, you know, but at the end of the day, the teams are judged on their success and he won the league, so you can't take that away from him. I suppose. Mm. Um, so 2013-2014 mm. is the year of the OBE. Mm. Um, Other buggers efforts, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so how does that rank in your achievements, do you think? You can't say it's anything other than the highest and I think it's irrespective of you... You know, some people tell me they don't believe in honour system and some people tell you they do. I think it's irrelevant if you do or you don't. But if you're given an honour, which other people have recommended you for and you know nothing about it? You know, it's um, from a boy who at 11 is told to sit down because you can't read. You've got no chance of being successful to go on a train down to London to into Buckingham Palace and meet royalty is, is something special. And it's special not just for you, for your family and everything else. And I think it's, a, you know, it's an honour. It's a massive honour. Uh, but I think it's a contributory thing that I've achieved because of the number of people who've helped me. You know, you don't achieve these things just because of what you've done. You've got to look at people like Walter Smith, Donald Cruikshank, Garasowski, Ugo Ekeog, you know, people before that, the, the teacher that helped me. And I, I also remember doing a lo- an article in the local paper where my mum lives to try and, and found the teacher that had helped me who lived somewhere else and sent him the article. And, and that made as much to me, him seeing it, because he'd made a difference. Yeah. Because without that intervention, I wouldn't have got that. Yeah. And I think we sometimes forget how important it is with children to be there to support them and help them. And I think, you know, that teacher has made me who I am. Yeah. Now, OK, there's lots of other things too, but without that start, you know, so getting an OBE was a, you know, it was very fulfilling and you get lots of lovely messages from people and you keep them because, you know, I'm a quite a confident person in my job, but I also have doubt and I think doubt's a good thing. I think doubt, you know... Don't doubt yourself, you know, you don't keep pushing yourself forward, but occasionally it's nice to read the messages to remind yourself that you're not such a bad arsehole all the time. Yeah. But then surely you finding that teacher and sending them the, mm. the newspaper mm. clipping mm. or article mm. or whatever it was is the same as Alan McGregor sent his first Champions yeah, League. Yeah, of course it is, of course it is. It, it, it's the same principle. It, you know, I think we... I remember a conversation I used to have with Ali McCoy, and it was quite fun. We used to occasionally talk about players about contracts and we used to and they used to have a great phrase in life if invariably when you go back to being a boy at Christmas or a girl and you go through in Christmas day and you see seven parcels wrapped up you always go and open the biggest first but invariably it's not the best yeah. <laughs> and I think sometimes we forget the you know the human value of gifts of you know an OBE doesn't earn you a penny nor should it unless you make you get your daughters married in, in something called cathedral but that's another story but <laughs> but it's an honour and it's a bigger honour than cash yeah. as is a jersey yeah. you know and I think you know we you know I I have it in my house I don't usually I, I use the OBE when I'm giving a lecture so can people see it after my name I, I do have it after my email now because someone asked me to do it I don't really if someone ever asks me about it I'll talk about it but I don't need to volunteer it it's something I have but I don't throw it in people's faces because I think that would be wrong yeah. so Let's get down to the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. Talk me through Buckingham Palace. Did they feed you? No. What? <laughs> you even got poor toilet paper. That's <laughs> that was according to suit. No, listen. It's a wonderful experience going in there because you you sort of go in there and you sort of your family go one way and you go the next and then your typical British precision. It's planned to a T and you know. And you, the nice thing is they've now got cameras throughout the place. You can buy a DVD at the end of it or, you know, which shows you your whole day. And it's a bit, listen, the whole thing is very special and I felt it was, it was fun for me because it was Princess Anne who was doing my investiture and I, and I'd been fortunate enough to meet her at the Olympics in 1992 at Barcelona and it was quite strange because I'm very rarely speechless, as you know. 
and I um you, you're sort of put in line, you go forward, or you have a conversation, she pins the badge or the medal on you and you sort of bow and disappear and these people obviously are people who do their homework because that's what they're planned for. But I may going forward getting my my sort of medal pinned on me and she went, It's twenty one years since we met since Barcelona. What have you been doing since? And I was well, oh my God. <laughs> you remember me if that happened? <laughs> well, I, how would you like to know about marriage divorce? <laughs> they didn't need to do the research, she remembered you. <laughs> exactly. I know, that's the worry. That's the worry. But 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 it was fantastic and she made it feel very personal. And as I said to you, you know, when you're in that sort of stage and you've got Dame Dame Grange who getting her medal and you're getting Sebastian Cole getting his knighthood. You know, you're in you're in you're in very good company and but also more importantly you're seeing the person in front of you who's getting it for doing local charity work too, who they're the real heroes yeah. and heroines and so you know, people like Sebastian Cole, me less to extent, but you know, we get a lot of what's the right word, recognition for what we do anyway, but there's some real heroes there. You see people who, you know, London Fire Brigade who've rescued six people, they're the real ones. Who, yeah. And being part of what they're getting is as rewarding as seeing what you're getting yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, so another honour that you were getting, and mm. we've talked a wee bit about it, was your collection of football shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you... What's the process for getting most of them? I think what you do is you, you, you know... I walked out early on when I was at Lillishaw, it was nice to have a memory about someone and initially, and, and in those days people didn't have their names on the back so shirts were just numbers and so, but I suddenly thought why not start collecting a few souvenirs like that and I've got pictures from some of the jockeys I've worked with, you know, jumping a, uh, a fence uh, or, or it could be anything like that and I just started saying to players, listen after a while, listen would you mind you know, sending me a jersey? Uh, and quite a few, some of them signed them, some of them didn't. And, you know, you, before you know it, you've got two, you've got three. Uh, and when I was clearing the loft out the other day, and I, I have some up in the house anyway, but they're are special to me. And the special ones aren't necessarily the big name players. I've not really ever collected jerseys of players I've not worked with. So I've been offered, I remember once, I think we played Man United, and I think Ray Parler swapped his jersey with someone like Ronaldo and said, do you want it, Grant? I was like, well, not really, because I mean, Ronaldo doesn't mean much to me. Yeah. Now, probably in hindsight, I should have kept it and given it to charity for raffle, but yeah. it, it, wouldn't have made any, it wouldn't have been on my wall. Yeah, He's a phenomenal player. I admire him tremendously, but I've not had anything to do with him. I'd far rather have had players who have had something to do with. But I think in the end, and you know, Sue eventually said, listen, you'll have to sort this out before we move to Aaron. And... I sort of started sorting them out the other day with Callum, and I think we, I think we were, we were kneeling the four hundred mark. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Is there one that you wanted that you never ever got? Not really, no, because I've really got all of the ones I've wanted. I've got, you know, Gascoigne's England jersey, Rangers jersey, Middlesbrough jersey, Everton jersey. You know, I've got a phenomenal collection from Rangers time, phenomenal from Middlesbrough, less from Manchester City. You know, the nice thing is, or, or recently, I've, you know, the lovely thing is, and I really, and I mean this, it's lovely that I've got some jerseys from some of the women's players, and it's lovely that football's becoming more of an equality game. And, yep. you know, when you've got someone like Steph Houghton, who's the England captain, who's a phenomenal person, a phenomenal athlete, who goes about her job properly, that, to me, is as honourable as any Richard Goff's jerseys. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it's about there and now. Phil, well, Phil Ford and Jersey, that's special because I've known Phil since he was 12. And, you know, seeing him progress on and, you know, I genuinely hope he plays for England in the next World Cup. He should, he's good enough yeah. to. Yeah. You know. Um, what is the one that, you're mo- that you were most happy to get? Do you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. There are so many from different times. Alan McGregor's was very special and I've, I've kept that one as I've got Richard Goff from his testimonial game and, 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 and they were special. You know, Uko Ekeogs for Rangers against Celtic is very special to be sent something like that. Gareth Southgate, the last game he played for, for, for Middlesbrough in the UEFA Cup final. You know, these are these are special jerseys that, you know, one day I, I when I say I'm going to sell, no, I don't want to sell them for me, me any money. I don't need any money for them. It didn't cost me anything, but... If they could make money for a good charitable cause, I think it's great to do that. Hence, you know, I'll give you some jerseys, you know, that from that, that I'd like you to raise some good money with and, 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 and do that because it, it's nice that they can go to something. Yeah. You know, I've got Andy Gorham's goalkeeping jersey for the three-second international that Scotland played uh, <laughs> out, out in the Balkan state. You know, so things like that are, 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 are fun. And so, and it's funny, isn't it? Because in the house, I've got, a, I sort of converted one of the rooms upstairs because I, I, how I have it is a relatively private space I don't have them all over the house because mm-hmm. I don't want them but 
I sort of hung quite a few of them up. And it's sort of a place where sometimes I've got to go and make a big decision. I go into that room and I feel I get inspired by all the people in it. I feel as if they're, maybe it's a bit woolly, but spiritually part of who I am and mm -hmm. what I am. And I look at it and think, what would Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank have done with that? What would Gareth done? What would Hugo have thought? Okay. What Richard Goff done? What would McGoist done? But all these people shape the way you think and the way Of course they do. Of course they do. Of course they do. And, these, and you shape them? Precisely. It works both ways. You hope you've helped them along their journey. And I, I'd like to think my physio skills at times help them, but I'd like to think I help them as a person too. You know, and I think it's it, it, it's important you do that. And that's, you know, the jerseys represent them as footballers, but I remember them as much as people. And, you know, a lot of these people have insecurities, doubts, anxieties, as you and I do. And they're not, they're just human beings who are, who are performing on a stage and, you know, have to... But you know, they hang their underpants, you know, in the front room of everybody else, and we all we all shoot them for it. Aye, aye. Um, so season fourteen, fifteen, mm -hmm. the academy opens. Yeah. What sort of facility is it? To me, it's it's a phenomenal facility. It's a football village, and the nicest thing I can say is when I left last year at the end of last season, about a month before we left on the day that City were being presented in the main stadium on a Sunday with the Premier League trophy, we were running an under-11 tournament, an international tournament. And on that day, our community programme played a game, so the disability programme played, so we had a cerebral palsy game, we had a young women's game, we'd had a regional qualifier, so Rochdale qualified to play in the Undercity International Tournament, and they beat Chelsea and Benfica. And our under-11s played in the tournament. Now, that's the city village. Hey. So, on a Monday night, our amputee team train, followed by the blind team, followed by the cerebral palsy team. They train at the elite centre because they're elite. Hey. So, it's more it's inclusive. inclusive. It's inclusive. It's not... Who's the most important team there? The men and the women's first team, without a shadow of a doubt. But it's a centre that Manchester allow all of their teams to train from and that's one of the things that appealed to me because I think you know being inclusive is vital mm -hmm. you know if you're going to be truly elite you remember every one part of your community yeah. and so there's phenomenal amount you know and yet it's almost a facility that's out we're outgrowing and that sounds crazy but if you think about it in the academy side of the building there are 320 players train out of there from the men's and the, from the boys and the girls programs right you know, they run, obviously, all of the boys' programme, which everyone knows about, but we have a full-time women's team, an under-23 team, an under-16, 14, 10 and 12 girls' team, oh, as well as the boys. Aye. So it's, it's full on? It's full on. But that's great. Yeah. That's how it should be. And I take it that that inclusivity stems right the way back to your first party at, at Rangers when you won the, the league first time? Well, precisely. And I think, you know, these values come into you very young. And, and I, I think... I think, you know, Manche I, 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 I left Manchester at the end of a, a time where I felt it was right for me to move on in my career. But I, I, I can only say it's a phenomenal football club. And forget them winning the Premiership. Now, don't get me wrong, that's wonderful. They, you know, everyone wants to be involved in that. But actually, you know, when you look at the manager they've got at the moment, he exudes those values too. You know, he reminds the players that you know humility is important. Mm. You know, he doesn't want them to be remembered for a nice watch or a car or a house. He wants to be remembered by how well they play football, how yeah. how they can change lives. Yeah, it's interesting because my my next question was I watched quite a few videos online about the academy, mm. um, obviously because your involvement. Mm. But the thing that keeps coming up is that Man City want their players to be good people. Yeah, absolutely, hundred um, percent. So, I kind of wondered. Are the best footballers good people, or do you just think that that's the way it should be? We believe that it should be both. You know, so for example, if you take the academy performance philosophy that sort of I started and someone else will be running now, is that in five years' time we see City players playing globally who know how to win, look after mind, body, and pro and soul, and we are proud of the football brand. So they become a, they, so you can do it with decency. You know, so one of the values at City is play beautiful football, get citizens, and it can change the world. Right. So it can because it can enrich people's lives. Yeah, of course. So therefore, you know, the club from the very top exude those values yeah. down, uh, and the owners want that too. Yeah. They, there's no way that you can get the younger players to do it if they 
top players don't. Exactly. You know, and, and when you've got captains like Vincent Company who set the right example, it makes life easier. And, uh, you know, I don't know the first team players well. I, I, you know, I, I bump into them around the training centre. You know, but, you know, Pep would not tolerate someone who's bigger than the club. Yeah. You know, he's, but he's, a, you know, he, again, and I've met him not on many occasions because he's a busy person. I was busy doing what I did, but, you know, he exudes that type of class. Yeah. Do you think that Pep and Walter are very similar? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, very similar human values without shadow of doubt. Yeah. And do you think it's the values that have driven their teams to be hugely successful? I think so, because I think, I think you know, at the end of the day, they, 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 they first of all recruit very good footballers. They want it done in a certain way. And I also remember Walter taught me a very thing on my very first day. I remember going into his office and his secretary was doing some, he was doing some notes with. And he had a little pile of letters beside him. I don't know, 20, 30 letters, if that. And I, he went, those are yours. I went, what do you mean those are yours? He said, those are fans I've written to you. Want to know information about either injured players or they'll have a request. You write to them back to them all. And it taught me a lesson very quickly that you forget. You know, we're... We're all in a privileged position when you're in football, so don't abuse it. And I've replied to every single letter of all I've had in football. If it's from a student wanting to do a placement, most of the time the answer is no, but this is where you might be able to get to one. I also remember one at Rangers when a guy had written to me, who was a season ticket holder at Ibrox, and he, he was a single guy who, who lived with his mum, and his mum had a severe stroke, so he had to look after his mum. And he couldn't get to football anymore. Is there any way did he know anything I could help him? And, and again, initially I'm thinking, I haven't got a clue, what can I do to help him? Then I suddenly realised a good friend of mine was in charge of the stroke unit in Glasgow. So I phoned her up and she found out, said, well, listen, around, what we can do is we've got a stroke association. We can send a carer into his mum every second Saturday and he can come back to the football. Hey. So I got I organised that for them. He had to pay for it. The club didn't pay for it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But what did that take out of my day? Yeah, and, and sitting in my seat with the problems I had with my dad, mm. I know that these wee windows can... Well, you go back to me and say, my life feels, I've got my life back. Yeah. Now, if that's what it takes, why not spend someone writing to someone? Which is, again, I think Walter installed that in me to a value that, you know, you're in a privileged position. It's not don't abuse it, but use it to your advantage. And listen, when you, when you do things like that, you know, it makes yourself feel good about yourself. Yeah. You don't have to go and tell the world because the world doesn't need to know. But that guy's... You've helped someone. Yeah. And that's priceless. I, I went on the the tour of Ibrox a few mm. seasons ago mm. and there's a letter from Walter Smith in the in the trophy room mm-hmm. and I think he broke his leg when he was like twelve mm. or something mm. and he asked to go and sit by the the side of the pitch. Exactly. And they they had said no, but I think mm. they wrote back to him and I, you know, it's interesting to wonder if that's where he thought, well, it was decent of them to write back to me and that's where he's got his values from. Well, you, you don't know. And I think, you know, I remember just about two weeks before I left Manchester City, a young schoolboy had written to me earlier and just wanted to interview me a questions for his A-level project. So I had him in and, you know, I just did the interview just as we were doing now. Yeah. Because what does it take you to do that? It doesn't, you know, and I know, I know a lot of students write to people you know, wanting to come in and observe. And we don't allow students to come in and observe because we don't think it's appropriate. But what I used to do was gather all the letters and then write back to them all in one go and say, but on Tuesday, the 12th of July, you know, we're going to have an open evening, come in and I'll do a talk about what football is. Now, I would do that. Luckily, I didn't do it. I made the staff do it because I wanted to try and teach them the value of it. Because initially I remember one of the staff, what am I doing that for? Well, wonder you were then. And, you know, part of our responsibility is to sort of I think sort of ignite the next generation to do the job better than we did and is that the way that football's going do you think or is that the way man only man city's going we, I can't really comment about I'm sure a lot of other clubs try and do it that way I think I think football realizes it's got an awful responsibility on its shoulders and I think it takes it on the whole I do I think people are understanding the importance I saw who did who did Burnley play and lost on Sunday, I can't remember. They lost one 0 But what I'm why, why I'm saying the story is I can remember as soon as the final whistle went, I saw Joe Hart in goals go behind the goals. Yeah, right, there was right. a young boy, I think, either sat in a wheelchair, and he shook his hand and gave him his shirt. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what it should be. Yeah. That sort of thing I really enjoy seeing, but not. But and I also remember Paul Gascoigne's story, which somebody up well for me, because his agents used to basically run his life because they would try and make more money from him. That's, that's a lot of agents do. 
And I can also remember once it was headlines in the paper that Paul Gascoigne abused a young boy at a signing session. Where, and, and the story really is that Paul Gascoigne had been there signing probably 5,000 autographs all day and the final boy went, sign that Gascoigne. He went, who the fuck are you speaking to? Hey. Now, that is not the right way to address anyone. But when you've just signed about 5,000 autographs, yeah. it's probably what most of us would be thinking. Yeah, and it's nice to be nice. The young boy could have said, please. Yeah, exactly. And yet he's probably the last one and probably said for 499 the right thing. Hey. You know, so, but, it, but, it, but it's how the world is. And, you know, we... We tend to build up these young... And I think what we forget, how many teenagers would cope with £5,000 a week in their hand, £10,000 a week in their hand, would all be a bit stupid. Aye. And we sometimes put these you know, young players on pedestals and think they should be angels, and yet we've already taken a lot of their childhood away. They all want girlfriends. They all want, you know, they want to go out on a Friday night, and they don't. I mean, and, and, but, you know, it, 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 they're making sacrifices. Aye. It's interesting you say this, or we're talking about it, because since I've started up my podcast in Kilmarnock, you find all the, the different groups that are going yeah. on. I have to say, the guys, there's a pub down the town called The Brass and Granite. Mm-hmm. I've never really heard much about them, and then I got involved with this, and they said, oh, you want to come along and see this? And the amount of stuff that they are now doing to make the town better, mm-hmm. it's, it's phenomenal. They do litter picks, they host a kindness meeting mm-hmm. every uh, the first Monday of every month, um, they've started a group where they get older people to come out, older guys, mm. because they're the ones that are socially isolated yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And they're saying, come along, we'll give you some tea and coffee. Mm. You don't need to buy any drink. Mm. Just come along, enjoy the time, Absolutely. spend it with some people and all the rest of it. And they keep saying, this isn't about profit. This isn't about profit. And 100% know that mm. it's not about profit. But by doing these things, it makes their business better, which yeah. makes them more profit. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same with Manchester City. You know, they they include all these different mm. people into mm. groups or into training centres or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then people start talking, oh, Manchester City really decent. If I'm going to pick a team in mm. England, yeah. then I'm going yeah. to pick Manchester. And I was speaking to my friend the other day there, and he's subscriber to Amazon, and he says, have you seen the Man City documentary? And I said, yeah, I've seen it. And he, now he's not into football. He says it's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? Mm. He says absolutely fantastic. And I said, but it's clever, isn't it? Oh, how's that? And I said, because what team do you support now in England? You know. He's like, Man City. Well, oh, there you go. <laughs> I said, so they've allowed the cameras in. They've shown to be decent pe- people. Vincent Company's done a tremendous amount of work around the town. Everyone thinks he's he's mm. absolutely brilliant. And now you like Manchester City over any other exactly. club in England. I think what it is, as you say, if you want to get into corporate terminology. You know, it, it's good brand exposure. Yeah. And people, you know, I think, thankfully, your generation, and I mean this in a positive way, has got... I've always had a social conscience, and I, but that's the way I was brought up. Many people don't. But I think, I think people are now realising none of us mind people doing well in life as long as they appreciate those around them and yeah. are not taking advantage. And I think a lot of people want to be associated with a product that has that. And I think, you know, when Manchester City built their training ground, because it was in a, a difficult part of Manchester from a point of view, socio-economic level, they built a lot of sheltered housing for the local people. They built an institute for health, which not only investigates the footballers and the injured, but they're putting money into looking at local diabetes, cardiac problems to try and help the local population. Yep. Built a leisure centre for the local swim, building a new school. Manchester City also decided that they would build a, a collection system for water. So all the water on the pitches is generated from an underground reservoir, which on top of that, the, 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 the grass clippings are taken to a local strawberry farm. It's grown that many more strawberries. Because of the grass clippings, they've employed an extra person. Aye. Now, the hedgerows have grown more bees around Manchester. And if anyone knows Manchester, bees are very important. It's yep. a symbol of Manchester and with the bombing. Mm-hmm. These are stories are as important as the football team. Yeah, they go together. Yeah. And I think, you know, I feel that's why, you know, someone gave me a little badge when I left and said, you know, I want to adopt Mancunian. Well, I never will be a Mancunian. <laughs> but I, I feel proud of it. Yeah. Because Manchester reminds me of Glasgow a lot too. Yeah. You know, the proudness of the people. And I think it's... Um, the rough edges as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. But those rough edges give you, hopefully, a good social conscience where you, you do care about, you know, how, how you're perceived. And it's not just about winning. It's about you know the way you win. The trip to Ghana, yeah. which is obviously on your your mm. YouTube page. I mean that 
yes. just uh, hugely important. I, I felt it was, and we were at a stage at a club where, again, you've got to thank the club because the club, you know, we were, it didn't, it cost, basically cost what, five, six flights, you know, or, or six, five flights. What we did is we had three boy, young boys who'd got significant injuries, all roughly in the same period of time. And I knew February was going to be a difficult month because they weren't ready back to run. They were still going to be out. And it was an opportunity for us to take three players to an academy we have an association with. We don't own, but it's in Ghana. And I thought it'd be good to take them to do some local work in the school, help build the football pitch, you know, and live out of a bucket. So they basically every day were given two lots of kit, a bucket, a bar of soap, and they had to wash in that, and they had to wash their own kit in that. They were fed. Mm. And they were up at five o'clock to say prayers with the African boys. They had to help build the football pitch and go and teach in the school. And then I did a bit of gym work with them at night. And it was just, I think, we've, again, we sometimes forget an injury is just an experience, an opportunity to do something different. And again, the club backed it. And I think, again, I think the boys thoroughly enjoyed it because, you know, they sat underneath the African sky and realised, you know, your mobile phone's not as important as you think it is. Yeah. You know, just look at that sky. But there's a, I don't think that there's anything as good as travelling and a- developing a person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you know, like, my mum and dad took us to Millport every year on mm. holiday. My dad travelled the world, mm. so he didn't want to do it, mm. you know, yourself. Mm. And see, when you went once, I mean, that was great, don't mm. get me wrong, and I had great freedom, and mm. I, I love it, and mm. I still love going back. But see, now that I've started to see different places, mm. my whole outlook in mm. life and the world and how you treat people and how people treat you and all the rest of it's completely changed. It changes with tra- and I mean, I've been fortunate because I've travelled to most parts of the world with work and I think, you know, people are pretty similar but different and that makes it almost double Dutch. Yep. But I think no. they're similar because we have the same worries, the same anxieties. But actually, culturally, if you can travel, you know, you'll learn so many more different things about different people, different situations. And I think travel's a phenomenal way of growing up. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So, the women's football yes. that you were talking about, yeah. how big will it get, do you think? I hope it continues to grow, but I, what, you know, it will never probably wrongly get the same crowds as the men's game, because the men's game is, is almost institutionalised. We talked about it more importantly in Manchester, about being role models for young girls, because if you think about it, the role models for young girls are probably size six, who are, who are almost anorexic, starving themselves to look good on, on, on Hello. But actually, would it not be far better if a Jenny Beatty or a Steph Horton was actually there, who've worked hard, who are more natural size, but quite mm-hmm. athletic? And I would like to think the legacy of the women's game, and we talked about this a lot in Manchester, maybe if we get less cardiac disease and diabetic than young girls, we can save the nation millions. Yeah. And that should be the legacy. But I tell you what was interesting the other day because I was doing a talk, and I actually so I wanted a picture of Steph in it, and I thought I'll just Google Steph's name, and when I put Steph in H, she was the first name that came up on Google. So that tells you something about the women's game. Yeah. Because if I guarantee if you'd done that four years ago, she'd have probably been at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so the game's got bigger. I hope it gets bigger. It's fantastic as a nation. We've qualified. You know, and people. I hope the whole Scottish nation gets behind the women's team. I know, Shelley because uh, I do a little bit of work with the SFA now, the women's coach of leading the team, she's, is a, is a really good person. We've got a good young team. We're not likely to win the World Cup, but we're going to get better. We're going to try. We're going to try. <laughs> we're there. Yeah. First time uh, a senior team has got there in 20 years. Yeah. We should be proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe go and see them instead of going and seeing the guys. Yeah, why not? It's, it, listen, it's a good product. It's yeah. different. Mm-hmm. Ath- athletically, women are different to men. It will not necessarily be played at the same tempo but I guarantee you it's the same athleticism it's different go and watch it do you think that it could grow to be the same tempo do you think that I don't it's know just it, in an early stage well I, I, no I don't know if it can because physiologically we're different so for example if you do a, take an ultra marathon women are always going to win that before men because right. of physio- physiology the physiology of football means men might be slightly more athletic than women but they are maximising their physiology to be successful and even in the last three or four years it, it's come on massively. Um, so, so second last thing that I wanted to talk to you, we're glad about that, <laughs> is the pathway for uh-huh. young players to get to the, the first team. Yeah. Um, the thing that struck me when I looked at Man City's 
sort of Wikipedia page, and I know it's not 100% accurate, but was the amount of players that you own or have yeah. rights to and they go out and loan, yeah. is this a good thing in your opinion? It must be if you're doing it. I think what you've got to, what is the role of an academy? And first of all, that will be defined by your owners, your own club strategy. The, the, the aim at Manchester City is to try and A, supply players for the first team, B, you can sell as asset value, three, supply for the rest of football and some give a good life experience to. And Manchester City's aim is all four. You know, so if you take, for example, last year, I think, I can't remember how much we paid for Angus Gunn, but we bought Angus Gunn as a young goalkeeper from Norwich and sold him in the summer for about £12 million to Southampton. Yeah. Now, that's that money is going to go back into the club. You know, so there's an argument by hoovering all the talent up, you stop it going to other places, but parents' choice, players' choice. You don't have to come to Manchester City. Yeah. You know? Do you think, like, obviously, for... For us, or for me, as a Rangers fan, then it's difficult to see the likes of Billy Gilmer go down to Chelsea Chelsea because we want to see him at Ibrox. Well, of course you do. And I, I listen, but again, it's a free movement of, 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 of the workforce. You know, we can't, you know, Billy Gilmer, I'm sure, will be a success at Chelsea if he plays for their first team or not regularly. Who knows? Uh, but he's decided on that pathway. There's other pathways. We had a young lad from Manchester City left at the end of last year for quite a good fee to go to Borussia Dortmund. He's playing now in their first team. So he'd probably argue that's a more successful way. Who knows which is the right way? You know, it, but the, I think the hardest thing, the Premier League is the most league that attracts more players than anybody else than any other country. Uh, and as a result of it, you know, you're to try and, you know, Manchester, you know, to get into... No disrespect to play for Rangers first team or Manchester City first team. You've got to be a slightly better player yeah, of than, than Manchester of City, you know. So therefore, if you want to be guaranteed first team football, you better sign for Rangers. Yeah. But if you want to be the best, you better maybe yeah. sign for the best. Yeah, and maybe the the likes of the best hmm. won't go out and loan, will they? I mean, with the greatest of respect, is there a chance that Phil Foden's going to go out and loan? Do you know, it depends, I suppose, how many games they play. I mean, he's been around the first-team squad, and, he, you know, it, there's an argument he should be playing more first-team football. Listen, we'll, we'll, we'll see the argument of that in two or three years' time. I mean, certainly Pep rates him very highly. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, let's Who wait knows? and see. Who knows? I don't have the answer to that one. My last kind of mm. question, but we've still got some quick fire questions, I'm sure you'll be glad to know. But my last kind of question is the, the Pep effect. I mean, you're such a big name that I didn't think that we could skip over. Yeah. Um, what effect does it have in the academy and across the whole club of a, of a guy like him coming in? I think it's just the standard. You know, you raise the standard to hiring, you know, at the moment, the best coach in the world. And with that brings an expectation from him that he wants everything to be the best. You know, from everything, how you do it, but yet he does it in a very decent human being manner, mm-hmm. and he values human beings. You know, he understands process or so training's a process, but actually, how you look after these people when they're doing is very important. And he, you know, I think that was best seen last year, as it was probably publicly known that you know David Silver's um, partner had a baby, which wasn't very well. Yeah, uh, and Pep said to him, "You must stop playing football." I'm going to do whatever is good for your family and you can play any time you want for me but go and sort your family out. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think you can show any greater human quality than that. And, and and yet at the same time, we see his intensity to train, to preparation, the detail he goes into, is second to none. It's a bit fun. So for me, it's a bit like having a top-class coach like that. It's like dropping a big boulder in the sea, the ripple effect. Right, okay. goes out and everyone gets the benefit yeah. of it. You, yeah. you can't help but get that. Yeah. And does he take an interest in the whole club? Yes and no. He does, but he knows his focus is on the first team because he hasn't got time to. It's such. A, but he does. He does take an interest from the point of view of, you know, it, it's important that, that, what's the right word? That that he, he will come to certain functions, he will attend certain dues, but he can't be in the academy looking at young children every day, but he invites young players to train with his team, so he sees yeah. them, and then he encourages them. Yeah. And director of football, mm-hmm. and do you think that that's a... Rangers have obviously gone down the director of yeah. football with Mark Allen, yeah, that you know. Yeah, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's... A, I think, 
the right thing to do. It's the model that's, that seems to be successful everywhere else, so it's a bit like, why not? And I understand the, the need of it. In the past, a lot of chief executives have done that, but they don't necessarily know the detail of football. So I think it's a sensible approach. And, you know, at Rain, you know it, it's certainly very successful at Manchester City. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought as well. <laughs> There's no way that it can work yeah. across the world no. to not work at Rangers. Exactly. But it seems that the Scottish media would well, would disagree with well, that. Exactly. They have their own opinions on a lot of things. <laughs> it's your final sort of season, maybe in elite football. I'm sure mm-hmm. you've been in consultancy. Have you got a legacy that you want to leave? Yeah, I do. I, I, I want to leave a legacy for staff in particular now and players to sort of know the way about it. You know, high performance sport is demanding, very demanding, demanding on your time. But there's a way about going do it and. Uh, and also remembering of who you are and what you are. Mm-hmm. And I think none of us should ever get carried away and think we're that important because we're very quickly chip paper. Yeah. And I think it's important to try and do the job properly, hand it over to people in a better state and let them take it further forward. Uh, and I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a wonder, you know, when I, th- when I look back, I've been involved now 32 years. I can't believe where the time's gone. We've just, we've, we've surmised the best part of 32 years and thinking, good God, Where's that gone? Yeah. There are so many things, but uh, and along the way, I think you've got to sometimes celebrate the little bits as well as the big bits. It's a player coming back from injury or seeing someone do something well, or it's not just about you know. Because if I think about it, in thirty-two years, I've probably won seventeen major trophies. So it doesn't sound a lot, really, does it? But that's probably more than most folk will ever see. Right. Right. But at the same time, you know, you've got to work bloody hard for it, very hard. Yeah. And what's next? What's next? Well, I've just set up my own sort of company, which sounds a bit grand, but I mean, but what I'm doing is I've, I've, I'm sort of freelancing myself and so far I'm doing some work for the City Football Group around the world, uh, do some work for the Scottish Football Association, I also do some work for the Premier League and I've got set up a little mentorship school for younger practitioners and that, so I do so many days for each of those organisations and I'm mentoring some younger practitioners in medicine and science. On, and on their soft skill development, so how they deal with people, how they deal with situations, uh, and really that, and, and I do lecturing still around the world, which is kind of fun. Someone pays you to travel, which is great. Uh, and and I'm building a house, or I'm not personally building. I couldn't build a house. <laughs> briefly, I'm getting a house built in the Isle of Arran, which we next year I'm going to go and live, uh, and still do a few of these projects from there, and just generally slow down a little bit, but still. Still very interested in it, but realising, you know, my best bits maybe can be from the outside. Excellent. Mm. Um, so, time at City, quick questions. Yes. Um, best thing about working at City? The whole project. Okay. Worst thing? It wasn't one. Okay. Um, biggest achievement? Biggest achievement? <sighs> Probably getting, getting young players into the first team squad. Okay. Um, best friend? Ooh. Too many today. Okay. Uh, best first team player that you worked with? Vincent Company. Worst? To be honest, there wasn't really any horrendous ones. If you think of people like Balotelli, they were awkward, but phenomenal footballer. They weren't such things as bad players there. Was he Gazesque? Yeah, but not but again, not in a not in a what's the right word? Not malicious attention seeking no. way, just daft. Yeah. And um, best place that you visited with work? The city. Yeah. Do you know where I loved, and I think it's a phenomenal country, and I'd recommend anyone to go and see it. Most folk could probably afford to get there. It's Croatia. Right, okay. Because we, we stayed in a place called Istria, which is the northern bit, which is used to be part of Italy. Right. And a lovely, proud nation. Very reminds me of Scotland for the proudness of who they are. And again, mm. they're, they're, they're smaller than Scotland. Yeah. Look at their fo- football team. Yeah, World Cup final. Yeah. yeah. And I think they're a... We used to go on one pre-season training camp and there's a little town up a mountain that we used to go for a meal every year and it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever visited in my life. Excellent. Um, right, so whole question, or whole career quickfire question. <laughs> oh, no. This is the very last oh, thing, I promise. <laughs> what is your favourite period of your career? Oh, that's almost such an impossible question to answer because there have been so many highs. There's lots of lows too, but I think I've enjoyed... And I'm, I'm going to give you a very horrible answer and say I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the journey because I think from every bit from the hospitals, when I go back to the, to the NHS in, in Glasgow, there were some phenomenal 
things I learned there from going to Lillishaw working at the Olympics. I'm not being very good at this answer, by the way, <laughs> as you can tell, for, you know, obviously the success we had at Rangers speaks for itself to to Middlesbrough, you know, getting to getting to UEFA Cup finals and winning, you know, the Carling Cup and then at Manchester City, just the whole project. So it's really difficult to pick out. But again, I suppose I loved, I was given the opportunity to speak at our end of season awards at the Academy. Uh, thankfully, it's not on YouTube. I've got a copy. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it was lovely to be able to address the boys because I felt as if it was lovely just to sort of say a few things. And that was special because, you know, Manchester City are a very special club. But I'm, I support Rangers more. <laughs> <laughs> OK, um, what was your biggest achievement? I think getting an OBE can, can never achieve it, can never be matched. Excellent. Um, if you were in a desperate scrape, desperate scrape and you could only call on one person that you've worked with, who would it be? Oh, that is a good question. I'm going to go for Walter Smith. OK. Who's been the hardest working player you've ever met? Loads of hard working players. Gareth was hard working, Ugo was. When I see Vincent company is phenomenally hard working and Richard Goff, I would say. So and it's been, they've, got, they've all got one thing in common, have you noticed? They're all centre halves. Yeah. <laughs> who was the most skillful player that you ever worked with? Paul Gascoigne. Um who has been the player that you've got on with the most? Good question. Uh I think it's difficult to say one and I would like to name one ones from I won't, none at Manchester City, partly because of my job was more distant, because I yeah. was more of a, a sort of a leader, so I didn't get really close to any. At Middlesbrough, definitely, Gareth and Hugo, I was very close to. Rangers, I was, I was very close with, at, at Walter's time, Richard Goff and Ali McCoyst. Arthur Newman for certain stands out, so. Perfect. Um, this might be a bit difficult. The player that you've got on with the least? Uh, that's it. Do you know, I think you use your personality to sort of try and distance yourself with. And I, I don't think there's any of that I've really locked horns with and felt I dislike them. Uh, and also I was fortunate enough that we had staff, which meant, so in my days, if you really didn't get on with someone, you'd sidetrack them to someone else. So I think, it, you know, there's people you wouldn't choose to be your friends, as I said to you, because, you, you know, they're different sort of people. But, you know... I think it was almost a weakness to show that. So I tried, you know, there's a few that you wouldn't choose to invite to a dinner party, mm -hmm. you know, but no, no, none that you really, yeah, yeah really there's, there's none. Of, you know, I don't really have a, I've always said if you hate something, it affects you more than them. So I hate someone, even the ex-wife. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> uh, is there a player that you would have liked to have met or worked with that you didn't get the chance yeah, to? Yeah, loads. I mean, you got Bennett. Who wouldn't want? Who wouldn't have wanted to work with a Ronaldo or a Messi? You look at the modern game. You look at Ronaldo and his work ethic, or even an Eric Cantona at Man United when they, you know. And yet, the reason why I became a physio and it's a strange story. This one was I can also remember. You know what I talked about when I was younger about things, and I can also remember too one day watching Sports Night with Coleman. Manchester City were playing against Man United and there was a guy called Colin Bell was through and goal mm -hmm. and suddenly went down in the box and Man United broke. I don't think they scored. But I can also remember him being stretched off the pitch and not playing for nine months and he tore in his cruciate ligament and kind of, you know, in those days he didn't operate and he got back and played. Now it's funny to think when I ended my career I could set two seats away from him at, in Manchester because mm. he used to go to all the games. <laughs> there you go. Mm -hmm. Um... Who's the best manager you've worked under? I'm going to give it to Walter. Okay. Um, By breath. Who was the worst that you worked under? Good gosh, that's a difficult one. I don't think there was a worst, because they all were not bad. But probably, who did I work under here? I'm going to go for... Who am I going to go for? <laughs> I'm trying to go... Who else did I have at Middlesbrough? Who did I have at Middlesbrough? Gareth, it wasn't Gareth, I think. I'm going to go for Steve McLaren. Steve McLaren. And that's, and that's being unkind. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We didn't mean it, Steve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, did you ever want to work in a different sport? Yeah, well, I have. I mean, I, I work, I've worked in, in different sports because I started in rugby. I worked with Olympic sports. Uh, I always wanted to be the Scotland Rugby Union physio. I dreamed of running on at Murrayfield. It was my, my, my big ambition as a physio. And what with James Robson? Yes, Robson. I, know, I know James very well. He's a top guy. Yeah. Um, is there anything 
I was going to say, is there any regrets? But you've already answered that. I, one of my life lessons is life. I have no regrets of the things I've done. I've regretted a few things I don't didn't have the courage to do. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you feel that people miss when they look over your career? No, not really, because I think you said it before that you know you've got a choice as a physio. You can you can try and hog the limelight and pretend you're all around players, and that's fine. I was never that sort, and I don't mind people doing that because it's just my personality. I'm not that yellow. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm more happy being my own thing, and I think you know. I've always said it too, and again, it's another one. I, I've recently, a friend of mine wrote a book, so I had to do five life lessons for them. And I'm writing a book soon, and I'm going to, one of my life lessons, you know, is, is sort of, when I look back, what do you want to be remembered by? And I, I think there's things, you know, you would do differently with hindsight, but you don't tend to do, do things with bad intentions. So, you know, I'm... I'm very comfortable about being in the background, you know. But but I'm very but I know when to step forward. So yeah. you know, players will. Someone so recently, I've been doing a little website, and someone did a testimonial to me and said, "You might think Grant's a quiet person, but when you're ever needed, he's there, yeah. and he'll become quite loud." Definitely. Mm. I, I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's me. I've run out of questions all nine pages. <laughs> You'll be glad to know. Thank you very much for sitting down with me. My pleasure. I hope this puts some people to sleep at night and, <laughs> and helps them sleeping and they'll realise that their life is not as bad as they think it is. Brilliant. Thank you very much. My pleasure.